Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the third track of my isolation tapes. Um, first, I would like to start off this little track with thanking everyone that has consistently supported me throughout like the last, you know, few weeks. Um, it means a lot to me. Obviously, it's not like the numbers of people listening are like astronomical, but it does mean something to me that you know people that I know are supporting me. That means so much to me. Um, so thank you. Um, secondly, I would like to thank my dear, dear friend, Neff Aria, for joining me on the last track. You mean so much to me, and I've always enjoyed our conversations that we've had. We've always had conversations like that, like just over dinner, and I just think you're a very profound, you know, human being. So, thank you so much, and I can't wait until we can do something similar to that again. Um, so... I did say in the first like track that I wanted to kind of like, you know, keep myself on a schedule. Like this is supposed to be like therapeutic. So I'm supposed to be doing it like once a week. Um, But it's not any secret that there's been something going around that's like literally shifted the entire world. Um, So I just I had to take a week off. Um, I was like signing petitions like I was I went to a protest like I was trying to excuse me be more on like social media so I can kind of see like what is actually happening on the ground like instead of just like you know relying on media footage no matter what platform it was so and I also was very sad so I just I mean I really needed to just take that time and put my focus elsewhere um so in saying that um I felt like it would be irresponsible and also inappropriate for me to not try to touch on that topic. Initially, I was going to talk about um, the Trump bump or like the stimulus check, you know, that everyone was given except for, I don't know, like I think they said it was like 10 or 20. I think it might have been more like 10 million people who were supposed to get it um, that were eligible for it that actually never received it, like such as myself. Um, So I was going to talk about that, but in light of what's happening, I thought it would be more appropriate to talk about um, civil rights justice and kind of how we're going through a modern day civil rights movement and what is that in comparison to the civil rights movement um, of the 60s, at least from my perspective, at least from um, my knowledge that I've had. It's not like, you know, it's not like I'm a professor or anything like that, but like I have been learning about this my entire life. So It's just something from my perspective that, you know, I find interesting and not only do I find interesting, I find that, you know, it's something that we should know and should want to know. Um, So I want to touch on a couple of things that I felt were interesting. Um, I want to talk about, you know, the presence of young white Americans and how that's impacted the current movement. Um, I kind of wanted to touch on police brutality and um, defunding the police. And I wanted to talk about leadership in the country. I don't know how long I'm going to go on that, but I wanted to touch on that a little bit. Um, So generally speaking, when I have these, I write myself little notes and jot down like a so-called script so I can kind of like stay on topic. But I am visiting my family and my little brother deleting it all. So bear with me here. So let's get it started. So. Let's talk about the 14-year-long civil rights movement that happened in the 60s. So you have people like Stokely Carmichael, W.E.B. Du Bois, 
Rosa Parks, Malcolm X, of course, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, They were all fighting to get rid of social injustice, social injustice such as um, legalized discrimination, legalized racial segregation, and the disenfranchisement of the black community. Um, So I feel like sometimes when I use that phrase, the disenfranchisement of the black community, it falls on deaf ears even if um, people are trying to be open-minded. So let me be clear of what I mean when I use that phrase. So disenfranchisement is when you have a group of people that you are um, not allowing the same rights as another group of people within that same nation. And it doesn't even need to be a nation. It could literally be like a village or a town or whatever, even like even a soccer team. If you're excluding a certain group of people from the rights that you're giving the other people, that is disenfranchisement. So one of the main things, one of the main things that they were fighting about within that phrase that I constantly use was the right to vote. Um, I don't have to really tell anyone that how important it is to have the right to vote, especially in a country that you live in. Of course, you want to be a part of the conversation. So, I mean, I feel like this is probably going to be a surprise to a lot of people, but black men were given the right to vote in 1870. Black women then 50 years later was given the right, were given the right to vote during the women's suffrage in 1920. Um, so that's great. We could vote within our community and we kind of had a say on what was happening on a local level, but it wasn't until 1965 when president Lyndon Johnson signed the voting rights act, um, that outlined discriminating on voting practices that we were able to vote on a national level. So things were happening nationally that we did not have a say on. And so to me, although there were so many other things, um, happening, like we literally couldn't like obviously go to, you know, well-known universities, um, HBCUs like were like def like defunded. Um, so it's like for us to be able to vote and say, Hey, you know, we don't, we don't like this law. This is how it's affecting us. And we're going to stand up and we're going to go ahead and try to challenge that and change that. To me, that was one of the more important issues just because that was the way to me in my eyes, that was the gate, like the key to changing the other issues was being able to have a voice and have a say in the nation. Um, so what sparked this whole thing is kind of what's similar to like what sparked our modern day one that we have now. Um, a 14 year old boy named Emmett Till Um, he's from Mississippi, was murdered, horrifically murdered by a group of men for allegedly whistling at a white woman. Um, The body was so horribly dismembered that they literally were like, we need to have a closed casket. But his mother decided, you know what, people need to see what is happening to my son. And, you know, this got international reviews but nationally on a national level this really shook the nation because I think a lot of people especially at that time thought oh like this kind of stuff isn't happening especially if they didn't live in the south they thought you know there wasn't such a huge racial divide and when you saw see the just horrific pictures of this young boy um 
I think that really shook the nation and woke them up. And that's what started that movement. Um, So similarly, everyone knows George Floyd had four grown men kneel on him until he couldn't breathe. And that kind of shook the nation when everyone saw that kind of thing. So those two are both what are considered lynchings. So two public lynchings went ahead and sparked these two movements. Um, What I feel is a major difference in this, and they are key players in this, are young white Americans. Um, So I've lived for 26 years, not very long, and I've obviously have experienced my own racism. I have seen racism being placed on other people, whether, you know, no matter what race they are. And I have never seen this amount of white people stand up and say, you know what, this is enough. Enough is enough. And honestly, I think it's quite beautiful. I've never seen this amount of white people say, you know what, there is a problem. We need to figure out what is going on and we need to try to dig out all of this hatred that has literally been in our country for 400 years like we need to try to go ahead and dismantle that dismantle white supremacy and honestly I've been very thankful for that luckily I have a group of friends who you know are very compassionate empathetic people um so you know they are very diverse groups like there's Asian people there's gay people they're white they're black they're whatever and all of them have been fighting for inclusivity and honestly I love all of my white friends who have literally been like out here in the protests like literally like risking their lives like one story I can actually share that I would like to share is of this couple that I know their names are Todd and Lydia um Todd is a white man and Lydia is an Asian American woman um so when I first met Todd He was going to ASU with me and he was from Orange County and like we kind of bonded over that. And um, I remember myself and my friends at the time, their names were Yasmin and Ara, were and they were black as well. But we were telling them him some of our experiences. And he I remember and he probably won't remember this, but I remember think like him saying, wow, I had no idea. I remember him saying that. Um, And. After college, he traveled around with his gorgeous fiance, Lydia, and I feel like that contributed a lot. They have a lot of experience. They have a lot of experience with different cultures and communities. So fast forward to present day, they live in New York. um, And of course, as any person with any ounce of humanity, were outraged by this public killing of a man by the hands of the police. And they've been protesting literally every day. They've signed every petition. They've been literally protesting every day. They've been putting on social media like facts of, you know, different things in the black community, how you can support the black community, like what needs to be happening. And um, one of the times I was really sad to say a police officer um, attacked Lydia. Like, I feel like that is a proper word is attacked. She put it on her Instagram that she was protesting peacefully as she as she should be able to. And he rode up on his bicycle and started ramming her in the ribs. And if it wasn't for Todd, I mean, really and truly, he had to jump in the middle of her and it would have been much worse. So it's like the fact that he was present because his white body was present means a lot. 
Um, so the fact that there are a lot of white people who are standing literally in front of the police as a shield for black people means a lot. So I think that the presence of white people in this modern movement has been very beneficial. Now, um, I do want to preface that and say there have been a lot of white people doing this once again, exploiting the black community for their own personal gain. Um, I will say that I have seen it go as far as blackface from makeup artists who are influencers who have hundreds of thousands of followers, which is, I can't even believe that would be an act of solidarity. I've seen it as far as just literally dozens and dozens of girls dressing up in full length gowns, flowy gowns and heels to go to a protest to take a picture with a sign that says Black Lives Matters. I've seen it in little smaller microaggressions of people just literally being completely silent. I've seen it where people posted that stupid little black square on Tuesday and have not said one word previous and has not said one word after. And in my eyes, the reason why they were comfortable with posting that black square is because number one, it was a trend. And number two, it says nothing about the black community. It's just blank. So they're not really honestly standing for anything. They're standing for silence. So that has really like shown me that, oh yeah, like it's not all, you know, rainbows and sunshine. (laughs) Not that I thought that it was, but it has really shown me like, oh wow, like even the young generation, because people always try to make it seem like, oh, it's the older, you know, it's the older white people, like they're racist because they, you know, they experienced it more and like whatever it's no people's complicity with this is racism. I'm sorry. Like, and that aspect of it is honestly bone chilling to me. The fact that someone could be murdered in front of your eyes and then you continue to go on to with your life, like nothing's ever happened. Or you say a couple things for a couple days and then you then you're boating and having girls night and stuff like that. Like the fact that you can literally be so desensitized to a black man being killed in front of your eyes is appalling to me. So I would say that that involvement or lack of involvement, but that involvement has been detrimental to the cause. So if you know someone who has been doing any of these things, they need to stop. This is not the time to show off all of your knowledge that you've learned and say, oh, look at me. I'm being so good. I went and I Google searched a couple things for a couple hours. Look at everything I learned. This is not the moment for that. This is the moment that we're trying to dismantle white, the white supremacy that is so rooted in our nation that people jump to defend it any time someone brings it up. Um, so, I mean, to kind of summarize that, I do think that there are people taking advantage of the situation, but I do think that there are more people out here trying to advocate for me and advocate for my life and like are literally going toe to toe with their family members. And I think that that's been very beneficial. And I think that because we are a nation that honestly started with white supremacy whether or not anyone wants to use that phrase whenever there is a voice that's not white it's not really heard as loud so now that there's white people standing up for it 
it's being heard. So I would like to say thank you so much to everyone. And you've been very beneficial to the movement. Now to kind of touch on police brutality. So I kind of already said a little piece when I was speaking about Todd and um, his gorgeous fiance. Um, But those things are, you know, a plenty. If anyone hasn't noticed, and it hasn't just been from TV, you could literally probably Google this, but you could probably go into your Instagram right now and see police officers shoving old men to the ground, beating women with batons, um, smashing windows, tasing people. Like, it's not something that I'm exaggerating. It's not something that I'm making up. These are things that have been coming to light within the last week that have been happening for hundreds and hundreds of years and that are now happening in the public eye. Um, so I had a lot of people um, kind of come at me on my... They try to come at me on my actual facts that I was putting up um, on Instagram and say things like, the police are here to protect us. You know, the police are heroes and they risk their lives every day. Um, the police need a billion dollars per county. Um, they try to honestly tell me things like that. And let me explain to you why all of that is false. Um, we have... I've actually read a really great article about this, and I've also noticed this for myself as well. We have grown up in a society where we have glorified um, the police. We watch movies about them. We feel like they're superheroes. We literally put a slogan on them, they're fighting crime. So let me be clear and say that unless they live in like the inner city of Chicago, um, New York, things like that, they're not out fighting crime. This isn't Minority Report where they're like, hey, this is about to happen. Let me go and intervene. More often than not, if there is something actually crazy happening, like a woman's being beat, you know, someone broke into their house, they're there to investigate the crime and then go forward from that. They actually don't actually stop crimes is what I want to say. Crimes are still happening. They're not stopping it. They're out patrolling. They're in more often than not, unless they're living in a very hostile city they're out giving parking tickets and speeding tickets so that we can once again give more money to the city um so the fact that police officers are so glorified to be humans is just again political rhetoric used to disguise fascism boom um <laughs> police officers have historically attacked black men. That's because it's been ingrained in the system that has been built on white supremacy. And I want to continue to use that phrase because number one, it's true. But number two, I don't want to sugarcoat anything for anyone. This nation was built on white supremacy off of the backs of immigrants and slaves and that is something that has been ingrained, into, ingrained in our society for hundreds of years. So the fear of the black man has not left this country. So black men and black women have been targeted by the police more often than not. Um, and I feel that if anyone hasn't seen by the recent videos that come to light, they often attack 
women and elderly people as well. They try to do anything in their power to exert power on each uh, on the citizens. Okay. Um, things like ripping open our water bottles and first aids is a war tactic to try to intimidate things like pulling people over and asking immediately if you have any warrants, that's something that actually has happened to me. And then they ran my license and came back and then said, are you sure you don't have any warrants? And then when I responded with, didn't you just run my license? They then said that I had an attitude and I need to calm down. So these are things, these, the police force are just honestly, in my opinion, an organized gang that are good for nothing and get funded with billions of dollars per county. I mean, I've said this to multiple people, but can you imagine having a a company that is so well-funded that you take away a hundred million dollars without blinking an eyelash? Like it's nothing to you and your company is still thriving. Like to me, that is insane. They don't need, you know, a Tahoe decked out with 30 lights in the front and the back and the side. They don't need tanks. They don't need this extreme riot gear. They don't need a SWAT division in every county. Like, the fact that our teachers have to go out and buy their own school supplies and they have to have 35 kids per class because they don't have enough teachers or they just, they have way too many students for them to handle. To me, that's outrageous. I'd rather see my tax money And yes, we pay the police in case anyone has forgotten about that. I'd rather see my tax money go to that. I live in the city of Los Angeles. The rent is high. People are paying $4,000, $5,000 a month for some of these apartments downtown. Yet, you can't walk outside without there being a big pothole. You can't even walk down the street without the sidewalk raising up and going to the side. How about my money goes to that? There's so many other things that um, our money could really be going to. Um, I think that it's honestly outrageous and egregious that our property taxes go to the funding of schools because anyone knows that you're going to pay more money on a multi-million dollar mansion than you do a small little two-bedroom house in the middle of what's considered a hood. So I would like to see some of the money maybe go to the schools and the future of the children so we can educate them so there would be less crimes, preventative measures. Um, so not only are the police violent and well-funded, but they are also being told by the higher-ups, yes, our leadership, that this kind of behavior is okay. And um, it's no secret It's really not a secret that I don't like um, Donald Trump. And I'm trying to make this not aggressive, but it's really, it really shakes me to my core that this man has not been impeached. In 2016, he went onto a platform where he knew that he was being recorded by international cameras. And he got up there and said that he was a nationalist. Now, anyone that knows what a nationalist is, it's someone that believes that there's a country of whites and whites are the main body of the country. So it's white supremacy. People who are in the KKK consider themselves nationalists. People who um, are skinheads and Nazis (laughs) think that they're white nationalists. 
He constantly does things like quote Stalin, says Stalin is his favorite dictator. I don't know who looks up to a dictator besides someone that wants to be a dictator. The same way that people say, oh, Batman is my favorite superhero. That's because they would like to be a superhero. He does things and he has the same propaganda and political rhetoric as all these other fascist leaders. He constantly goes against a group called Antifa and tries to say that they're a terrorist organization. Now, Antifa sounds all fancy and it sounds all crazy because of the way that people try to paint a picture of it, but it literally means anti-fascism. And if you're not against fascism, then I think you should honestly take the time to Google and look up a quick search of what fascism is. And if you are still on the side of that, then you have zero humanity. So this is a man who is constantly combating a group who is trying to dismantle fascism and totalitarianism on a regular day basis. This is a man who tries to manipulate the masses with, again, political rhetoric and tries, tries to stir up the pot. This is a man who has preyed on impoverished white people in this nation that has not done one thing for those people since he has been elected. He tries to go and he tries to go to the poorest cities that he can, the poorest white cities that he can to get those people on his side because he knows that they're the majority. This man is the worst president in United States history. Maybe close to Reagan because he's the one who started this whole war on crime situation, which was not true and coined the term, you know, black on black crime, which is just so silly. And that's a conversation for another time. But if you are not against Donald Trump, then you need to take a long, hard look in in the mirror. If you can say things to me like, well, you know, he's a really good businessman, which he's not. Or he's implemented a lot of good policies, which honestly, he may have had some that I agreed with, but majority, no. Then you need to ask yourself, why is capitalism more important to you than humanity? Why is the... He is, he's bankrupt morally. And why is that not as important to you? Why is money more important to you than, than human life? And to me, it's because we grew up in capitalism and was told, like, this is so great. Like, America's so great. Like, you know, there's so much opportunity for success if you just work hard and whatever, which obviously a lot of us have seen is not true. But you need to honestly take the time and think, why do I care more about money than I care about people? And if you could say that you care more about people, then you should also wonder why you have not fought to have a new leader. And honestly, in November, Joe's not much better. But honestly, I'd rather have literally a broom with a bucket on its head than Donald Trump. So I honestly think that he's one of the key components to um, this modern day civil rights movement. Um, The fact that he hasn't tried to come and like calm the nation. And even when he did come out of his darkened bunker, um, he went to stand in front of a church after tear gassing protesters hold a Bible, make no comment, and then go back. Um, So to me, he's the worst president in this nation's history. I think we should dismantle white supremacy. And I think that should honestly start with self-reflection and end with Donald Trump out of the White House. So 
<sighs> yeah. So, I mean, he's just horrible. So, obviously, it's not as fun listening to me just ramble on. So, I asked my dear friend, Henry, who actually um, is the one who introduced me to Dr. Robin D'Angelo to join me um, a week and a half from now. And so that we can kind of talk about things like that. I thought it would be really nice to have a a conversation because he um, he is biracial. He's half black and I'm full black, uh, black American. So, I mean, there's white in there somewhere, obviously. Um, but I'm black American. So I wanted to speak about like what it is to be a lighter skinned black person in America and how we're seen as palatable and how that's affected us. Um, so that'll be in a week and a half. He's also another intellectual that I just, again, a very profound person. So I want everyone to look out for that. The conversation is going to be great. Um, thank you again for listening. I know I kind of rambled on because this is something that I'm very passionate about. And I also wasn't scripted this time. So thank you so much again for listening. And I hope this made you feel a little less alone.